0: Valley,
1: hooey, Hollywood. Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I am your host Michelle, the human robot that has not yet mastered the art of popping and locking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Henry, the weather vane that turns into the black beetle at the end.
1: <laughs> uh, oh man. Usually Henry and I catch up before we record these, and we decided to go in cold, or I guess hot. I don't know. I yeah, just watched guys. the movie. <laughs> There's so guys. much to unpack.
0: This is this is legitimately the worst movie I have ever seen. And like I've seen some bad movies. I've seen this so is
1: so many. I've seen so many, and with such like uh, gusto and absolute enjoyment. I'm... Border. I mean, it's my thing, and this. Yeah. I'm going to put it this way. Two thirds <laughs> to three fourths of the way through the movie, while I was completely horizontal and like barely conscious because this movie had driven me into like a stupor, it aggressively battered me over the head. I drank some coffee, which at this hour, so we're recording at like five o'clock, is inadvisable. Um, but it was the only thing to get me to have feelings again. And now I'm, I'm sweating. It's, <laughs> Just finished it's watching such the movie. A- and it's I'm like, such a
0: slog. My palms are uh, sweaty. So so we should So we should set the stage here. Yeah. Uh, this episode is about George Burns, who I think a lot of our listeners, all of our, our 15 listeners, uh, <laughs> haven't, probably haven't heard of, Uh He won the Oscar in 1975 for Best Supporting Actor for The Sunshine Boys, which is a Neil Simon movie. So
1: weird. I never knew he won the Oscar. Like, if anyone has heard of George Burns, I think he's more famous as, like, the comedian who's always got a cigar in his hand and kind of... What was his era? Like, I guess he was famous from, like, what, the... He was
0: famous for so long. 40s
1: through the 70s or the 80s. Yeah. He just kept on being a guy. He was like an old show business guy that kept working until he was like dead.
0: Yeah. Well, he yeah, he lived to be 100 years old. Wow. Uh, yeah. He died in 19... He was born in 1896. He died in 1996. He was drafted into World War I. Holy shit. Uh, and they wouldn't let him in because of his eyesight. Because if you've seen his eyes, they're the squintiest eyes on the planet. They are. Uh, they're barely open. Uh-huh. Uh, he's
1: like he's like that um, that cartoon turtle with the round spectacles that used to appear in like Tootsie Roll commercials. But he's like that guy as a guy.
0: There's there's a chance that that's based on him. He's been around for so long. I think there's he's a like- high
1: probability that's based on him. He's iconic. Like at this point, if you haven't like ever delved into his comedy before, you would just know him as like a he's almost like a caricature of himself because he's an institution.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's just like this tiny, shrunken, shriveled old man with a cigar. Uh, it's kind of known for one-liners, right? Yeah. Like, uh, is that if you if you live to be one hundred, you've got it made because very few people die past that age. <laughs> like, he was just sort of a funny, dude. Yeah, uh, he got yeah. So he sort of was. He was famous for like the, <laughs> the '30s through the '60s, and then like kind of went away, and then had a revival from the Sunshine Boys. They made these like series of oh god movies where oh, he yeah. played god um mm-hmm. uh, and it was like famous. him and john denver uh, Oh yeah yeah oh, Weird. Uh, yeah it's all very strange yeah. he's uh so so he's great he's an icon he's an institution he i love him uh, he inspired us to watch <laughs> the worst movie i have ever seen it's barely like it's it's not a movie. I don't know what to, to oh, call this. Oh, it's this. not a
1: movie. There, I can... it's, not,
0: it's, it's our first not a movie since Surfer Dude. Yeah. Uh, but it's much, much less enjoyable than Surfer Dude. Surfer Dude had some charm to yeah, it. Yeah, it had charisma. This, I've, I've never seen a movie both try as hard as this movie while trying as little as this movie. This movie was like, a charisma
1: it, black hole.
0: It's like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, with... With like a hundred famous people in it, so oh the movie, god. oh my god, the movie, Sergeant, the movie is Sergeant, movie is Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and I know what you're thinking. This is probably one of those bad Beatles movies, right? That's what no. I thought.
1: That's what I thought, and I was like, yeah, they're all kind of bad in a hokey way. I remember watching Help a lot when I like learned about the Beatles movies, and it's real bad, but it's also campy and fun. It's a romp.
0: Right. That's not what this is, guys. (laughs) So this movie was made in 1978, long after the Beatles broke up. uh, And it was made. Mm -hmm. So it stars Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. Yeah. As the members of the reconstituted Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Uh, How would you describe the semblance of a plot of this fucking car wreck?
1: I took a lot of time to write out some plot points because I got okay. very confused. Yeah. Um First of all, I wanna say at the top, it's worth noting that all four of the Beatles were alive when this movie was made. Really? Uh huh. <laughs> and like I had to look it up. I was like, there's no way that like there's no there's no way John Lennon was still of this earth when this movie came out. Right. Like, right. Come on, like that's not and yeah he was and i read a really funny review of it that said the implied threat is get back together or we'll keep making stuff like this because like the pressure (laughs) for the beatles to come back together was so hardcore in the late 70s um and any year i guess that they were still all four of them alive but yeah so the plot of this movie it starts out it opens in france during world war one uh, mm-hmm. a brass band is <laughs> it's it's gonna be a minute. There's a lot of a lot of things to cover here. Okay, so it opens in France during World War One in a town called Fleu de Coupe. Um, what is it
0: I missed that. Oh Christ.
1: There were little things that I was like, were this a different movie, that would be kinda cute and funny. Like Yeah. Whatever. Um, so they were sent to France during World War One, I, I guess for morale or something? And it's no,
0: the, the U.S. sent their allies the secret weapon. A secret Sergeant weapon. Sergeant Pepper and his Lonely Hearts Club band. It's just a marching brass band yeah. that ends World War I, yeah, That stops the fighting in the middle of a city where Germans and Americans are fighting, and they just stop fighting to march n- behind this band. What That's how we we'll begin the movie. What
1: you want during a major world war is a brass band alerting mm-hmm. everyone uh, where you're at. So they're given they're given some medal of honor they're given uh a an award for music above and beyond the call of duty Mm -hmm. anyway this band goes back to the heartland which is just like a town in middle america um and then they proceed to be this like iconic influential band through the roaring 20s through the great depression world war two world war two and beyond and they're like Like, morale boosting for the troops, and also, like, bringing people together. So, um, Sergeant Pepper basically drops dead on stage, but before he does, at, like, the ripe old age of, like, 70 or 80 or something, that's, he's been, like, they've been creating music for 50 years, and then he drops dead on stage, but before he does, he passes his legacy on to his son. He has two sons.
0: Is it his son? I thought it was, like, a nephew or something. Oh, yeah. He's a little little kid. Oh,
1: yeah, because he's little. Well, but, yeah. Yeah. So at some point, I thought it was his son, but it might be his nephew. He passes a,
0: ba- a baby boy relative.
1: A little, a little guy. He passes the legacy on to little Billy, not the other brother. Mm-hmm. And they make that Billy very clear. Shears
0: and Dougie Shears.
1: Yeah, definitely not so much, Dougie.
0: <laughs> so much of this movie is like they just took Beatles lyrics and like threw them up in the air. Yes. And wherever they landed, they're like, okay, we're gonna make a movie with this random order, and we're going to try to make the lyrics make narrative sense, sometimes. Yeah. Mostly in the beginning of the movie. By the <laughs> end of the movie, they have thrown that premise out, but in the beginning, that's why Billy Shears, who's talked about in uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, that's, he's, Billy Shears the main character, right? Yeah. So like, we have a Billy Shears character, but then there's Dougie Shears? I guess
1: there's Dougie Shears. <laughs> evil Dougie Shears. Well, he's not evil, but he's, you know, jealous. Um, yeah. So they reconstitute the band. With Billy and his friends, and then they become the new Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Uh, Oh, wait,
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But there's, so Sergeant Pepper, in his will, says that this seven-year-old boy has to restart my superhero military band (laughs) with his his also seven-year-old friends at some point in the future. What fucking weirdo is like... You you get my medal, and whenever you grow up, you and your current friends when you are seven <laughs> have to tour the country as a military superhero band to protect the the all that is good and joyous in this movie.
1: I know what you this guys movie. are saying. I'm sold. Tell me nothing else. I'm ready to watch this movie. But let me let wait me yeah, a little bit more on you here. Um, so then they... Are approached by a record exec- like a record label executive, B.D. Hoffler, like a Hollywood dude, and um, g- they go off to Hollywood. Meet, meanwhile, there is <laughs> there is a guy named Me Mr. Mustard who is roaming around the country in a dingy yellow double decker bus that looks like it was designed by Ron Weasley's whole family. <sighs> <laughs> and he's receiving like transmissions on this crazy like TV and radio, and he has two robot women manning controls and giving him instructions while he watches the Lonely Hearts Club Band on a monitor and becomes obsessed with uh, Billy Shears' girlfriend, Strawberry Fields, and he must have her. Mm-hmm. Um, he. I don't know. I don't know how in detail we want to get, but basically, <laughs> he he follows them. Uh, so Billy and the band they sign a contract. They're in Hollywood. The main Mister Mustard follows them, and he's trying to steal strawberry fields away. He also steals their instruments and dis- with well, the
0: instruments that narrator George Burns tells us are holding the fabric of the world together.
1: Magical instruments.
0: Magical instruments.
1: Seals them, dispatches them, like gives each one to a different like evil genius guy in a lair and then it's up to the band to track down the instruments and get the magic back and also save Strawberry Fields. Is that kind yeah, of the, that's, that's sort of the plot?
0: That's that's basically the movie. Uh,
1: there is no dialogue, guys.
0: Quote unquote movie. Yeah, it's a silent film. The, the only person <laughs> who talks on screen when there isn't music happening is George Burns yeah. who plays the narrator slash mayor slash Mr. Kite mm-hmm. uh, and it's most like the plot is mostly told in these inane title cards like a fucking silent movie
1: yeah yeah the,
0: they have like they have some actors in this movie mostly not mostly it's mostly like this stars Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees
1: yeah it does. but there
0: are some actors uh, god there's there is so much deeply wrong with this movie. I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with Uh, who's
1: in it. Uh, We've got... Okay. (laughs) Like, Peter Frampton and all of the Bee Gees at the top of their game. Like, the most Mm -hmm. famous that they'll ever be is right now when they made this movie.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like it largely stars Peter Frampton's teeth. All Uh,
1: the Gibb brothers' teeth. Those chompers, man.
0: The teeth. And I didn't notice... So, like... I kind of knew what Barry Gibb looked like. I kind of knew what Maurice Gibb looked like. But Robin Gibb, the lesser Bee mm-hmm. he has, like, this distinct fun aunt look throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, like he, <laughs> he's very androgynous. And he's got this, like, you know, sort of shoulder shimmy energy coming off of him the entire time. Uh-huh. Uh, like, if I didn't know he was a Bee I would spend the entire movie being like, that is that is somebody's, like, fun, kooky aunt. Um
1: Are you familiar with the the Justin Timberlake sketch on SNL, the Very Good Talk Show? Yeah. So, like, I, not being of the 70s, wasn't super familiar with what they looked like. I I like the Bee Gees quite a bit. I love a good falsetto. Really, like, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, really fun. Not super familiar with what they looked like, though. And, man, did they ever nail it. Because it's it's really just feathered hair and Mm -hmm. curly white chompers. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, there is there is so much feathered hair in this movie. 1978 was a weird time for fashion, for how people presented. Uh, a
1: great year for Aquanet. 1978.
0: Oof, yeah, Ooh. just tearing a hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, so Peter Frampton's the main character, uh, and is. Is a truly. It's hard to call him an abysmal actor because there's not really acting done in this movie. But there are some times where he's supposed to be crying. You never see him physically cry, but periodically his face looks like somebody threw olive oil on it. (laughs) Yeah, Um,
1: there's a lot of shiny face moments. (laughs) There's a lot of very shiny face
0: moments. Yeah. Yeah, so. And it also features so many weird musical cameos. So there's uh, sometimes. The musical cameos are by an existing band playing themselves. Earth, Wind and Fire appears in this movie in one of the, the only genuinely redeeming musical interludes.
1: Very enjoyable. Uh, it felt like it watching a music video.
0: Yeah, it's like a good it was a good cover of that song. Yep. uh but then there's like Aerosmith playing a like e- evil dark foil band. Oh wait, I uh, I
1: wrote it down. Um
0: Future evil, future villain band.
1: Future villain band. They're they're the they're the ones sending transmissions to me, Mr. Mustard, in his creepy Weasley wagon, uh, trying to lure him in. And the reason being that they want to uh, poison young minds, pollute the environment, and subvert the democratic process. Also, most worst of all, worst of all, turn strawberry fields into a mindless groupie.
0: I just can't believe that somebody... Like, a corporeal human being wrote this movie and, like, wrote words to say that. There are so many times... Ah, okay. I know. All right. uh. So... so,
1: Can we pause for a moment and talk about how young (laughs) Steven Tyler looks and how baffling that is to me?
0: Yeah, no, it is weird. (laughs) I've never Uh, seen
1: him look so... I'm not going to say good, but I... He doesn't look good. Because what he looks like now... Is like a fancy grandma, like a fancy <laughs> Bohemian grandma. <laughs> He's rocking yes. like a million bangles and like a messy top <laughs> bun and oversized like Louis Vuitton glasses <laughs> and like flowing like boutiquey shirts, and he looks like someone's cool like Santa Monica flu- like fancy grandma.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he looks he looks very youthful. Yeah, a lot of these people like I didn't know that Peter Frampton looked that way. I knew no. the Bee Gees looked that way, but. Uh, that makes, and then these like weird British and like old silent movie Jewish character actors that are sometimes trotted out to talk sing. Uh, yeah, like the music producers talk sing uh, is very unsettling. Oh, that uh, was
1: my first and most vehement low light.
0: Yeah, there. So there is I this movie had like movements of my emotional reaction to it, and I would say the like first half hour 40 minutes it's like I felt perplexed and like kind of bemused by the movie Mm -hmm. and then I took a hard turn into angry about midway through that's
1: where I was at too at first I was like oh my god there's so much going on that it's hard for me to keep up but like keeping me engaged and like there were parts that were upsetting like I mean if you're getting ready just know going into this if you ever do yourself the disservice of watching this movie you're gonna watch people butcher all of your favorite Beatles songs
0: Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, and first up to bat was the talk singing with the manager doing um, "I Want You." She's so heavy, but it's yeah. like "I Want You" as he picks the BG or the band up in his like stretch convertible glittery Cadillac, and then he looks like Billy Ray Cyrus. He's got like a big hat on, mm-hmm, and he's talk mm-hmm. singing like one of my favorite Beatles songs, and just made me really mad. But also, there's just so much happening.
0: I want you. I want you so badly. I want you. I want you so bad. It's driving me mad. It's driving me mad. Yeah, the, this movie is so deeply overwhelming. Like, yeah. and there's also there's just no decision that is the least sensical or justified so early on like clearly they've sort of built this whole structure the narrative structure about like uh sergeant pepper's band being a world war one here so they had to like justify that he's a sergeant right okay so he's a military sergeant so when does it make sense for him to be a military sergeant well i guess world war one can kind of make sense for him to be a military sergeant okay uh but the song opens with it was 20 years ago today so how do we get it to 20 years ago today and that's how you end up with this thing set in 1978 Right. right uh and and that all, like, it doesn't make narrative sense, but it's, like, it, it sort of verges on narrative sense. And, and then, it's,
1: like, cartoony.
0: It's cartoony. At
1: this point, I would say that the tone is still that old kind of Beatles movie campy for, like, at least yeah. the first 15 minutes where it's, like, a little abrasive, but it's still, like, you know, lots of hard zooms and goofy background stuff happening and things are bright and colorful. It's, like, fun.
0: Right. But I think the first... The first moment I was like, oh, this movie is not going to attempt to have anything make sense is when the Sgt. Pepper, like the band has left and George Burns remains on the street in the middle of Heartland. And then he said he like has this daydream of like, what if I could be famous? Weird. Uh, yeah, and then starts yeah. singing Fix in a Hole in this like <laughs> disco outfit with a denim vest <laughs> uh, and then eventually starts singing it to some children. Uh but the the context, like the words of the song make no sense in context. No. Uh, there's no, I mean, you could have rain happening, right Like you there are a number of songs in this movie where like, yeah. you could have something happening on screen or in the plot that that does correspond to the words being sing, right? You could have a person fixing a hole so the rain can't get in, right? Like that. That is a thing you could do. But that's not what they do. They just have George Burns singing in a disco vest in an empty field on a fucking gazebo and then turning to two small children and leading them down a path to nowhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he could have been singing Yellow Submarine. There was no narrative reason to sing that song, except for that they were determined to work their way through all of Abbey Road and almost all of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band part of a couple other albums
0: yeah uh okay so do we just do low do we do highlights and low lights does that
1: i think we just shotgun blast whatever we need to get out of our system right now (laughs) i'm gonna say my first like the reason i'm the most like distraught i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. offended (laughs) is that henry what's your favorite beatles album
0: Oh, uh, I mean, Sergeant Pepper's up there. Yeah. Uh, Revolver's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say probably Sgt. Pepper. Yeah,
1: that's it's most people's favorite. My favorite, favorite, favorite is Abbey Road. It was fun fact: two first CDs I ever owned, Abbey Road and Weird Al's Dare to Be Stupid.
0: That's that <laughs> kind of really explains, that that paints a nice picture of you Explains very who I am as a person in a lot of <laughs> ways.
1: Um, but like, it's. <laughs> the entirety of abbey road like it is the entire Mm -hmm. album bar none like it's leaving out nothing and that's it's a lot to handle when you grew up on those songs and then you have to watch steve martin do maxwell's silver hammer in the most baffling way i love steve martin that scene was a lot
0: (laughs) yeah no (laughs) i that scene is both a highlight and a low light Mm -hmm, for me mm -hmm. uh
1: Stuff like that. It's just it's challenging for me to <laughs> it's challenging for me <laughs> to
0: yeah, process. It's, it is it is irreverent in the worst way, right? It like they they are butchering some of the best musical material for no good reason throughout this movie. Uh the Oh god. Okay. So well I think the only way to do this is to walk through highlights and lowlights because yeah. otherwise I think we will just be like screaming about how much we hate it. We'll
1: just be lost in the and woods. I, we got to get specific. I,
0: <laughs> yeah. We, we got Yeah. got to narrow in and talk about what's wrong with this movie. And there, there is a, a short list of things that are right with this movie. And, yeah, I, and heard, I think we I should, have
1: highlights on the list as well.
0: Yeah. We should, we should, we should give them credit where they're due, mm-hmm. but there's not going to be much of it. Uh, so yeah, what are, what are your highlights?
1: Um, Question, would you rather I do highlights first or give you some backstory on this movie first?
0: Well, let's do backstory on the movie. Because I've useful. got
1: some of that for you. Okay. One thing, I adjusted for um, inflation. I, like, entered into a little thing just to find out how much mo- money this movie cost and made. It wasn't honestly like a box office flop. It made the equivalent of $80 million on a $52 million huh. budget. Huh. So, like... It was critically... That's better than I would expect. Yeah, critically, it was raked over the coals. But (laughs) in terms of being a commercial success, it wasn't like a huge flop. It just didn't exceed expectations. Universal set the bar really high, though. When they made this movie, they, they predicted that it would be, quote, this generation's gone with the wind.
0: Wow. I can't
1: parse what they think that that means, but I guess it's a sweeping romance in some ways.
0: It is It is not. It is absolutely not. <laughs> in, uh, in
1: in the eyes of this movie, I think it might think that it is. Here's a spicy quote by Robin Gibb. There's no such thing as the Beatles now. They don't exist as a band and never perform Sgt. Pepper live in any case. When ours comes out, it will be in effect as if theirs never existed. <laughs>
0: Are you fucking kidding me? That quote is a real quote. It's the, such a huge bummer. Wow, the level of hubris. It's uh, like
1: Oasis saying wow. they're the next Beatles, but like the Beatles were not only all alive, but they were all, for the most part, still making music by the, on their own. Like there's right. still guys in the industry doing actively being musicians, and Robin Gibb has the audacity Sir.
0: <laughs> Say there are no Sir. The, the Beatles no longer exist Is, <sighs> huh. Um
1: what Apparently, else?
0: I saw in the trivia uh, John Lennon and George Harrison refused to see the movie, uh, and Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr saw the movie and hated it deeply, and and shunned it from there on out. And which it feels, it feels mean to them to have them go through that experience.
1: I know. And what's funny too is that Peter Frampton later toured with uh, Ringo Starr and his All Star Band, so like they they became buddies, but they probably just had one thing that they never talked about. <laughs> George Harrison, yeah. like, had openly made some statement about how he just kind of felt bad for Peter Frampton and everybody because they should have known it's a bad idea to do the Beatles. He's like, we wouldn't cover Rolling Stone songs. Only the Stones can do the <laughs> Stones. Don't do right. the Beatles. Like, you're, you're doomed to fail. Yeah. Um, okay, so the producer of this movie was, like, a big dude. He, well, let me find his... Like, dude. physically? <laughs> He's a large man.
0: Is the brute!
1: He is, yeah. So Robert Stigwood, the producer of this film, he was like, uh, he had produced tons of musicals. On Broadway, he did Hair, he did Jesus Christ Superstar, he did a production of Sweeney Todd, he did Evita, and then in the film world, he did Fame, he did Grease, he did Saturday Night Fever. Oh wow. He's like a heavy hitter when it comes to the musical genre, and he also adapted this movie from a play that he had already made on Broadway. So this thing existed as a Broadway musical before it was ever a movie. All this huh. to say, I kinda get how this movie got made, cause it was this yeah. like uber famous producer with like big, you know, musical production shops. Huge dates. Um, yeah. I think the musical producer on this, yeah, he was like the, the film producer, the musical producer was this big guy as well. Um, one of the reasons Peter Frampton was in this movie is he was told by the producer that Paul McCartney would be in it. He was promised, <laughs> and that's why he said yes. And then he that's ran a, into Linda McCartney, went somewhere, and she was like, oh, no, but Paul's not doing it, and he started to get worried. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no absolutely no good reason to to be in this movie. But, like, you Uh, know, it
1: makes sense. It was, like, every famous Beatles song, it was this huge guy. It was, like, a famous director. It was a ton of money, and then they were told that there would be a Beatle. So, like, I get it. But also, oh, oh, Icarus, you have flown too close to the sun, my friend.
0: And the Beatle who would be the most likely to be in this movie. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, the cheesiest Beatle, for sure. Well, I mean, uh,
1: Ringo actually wouldn't have surprised me.
0: Right, like, Ringo would do the Muppet show and whatnot. That's fair.
1: Uh, yeah. But so there's there, there's a little bit of, um, <laughs> there's a lot of, like, hype. And weirdly enough, I will say that the soundtrack to this movie was somehow a success. Huh. Like, w- like I, don't, I don't know about critically, but, like, it made the top ten, like, like a billboard top 10 and it went platinum because it has all of these like famous artists at the time, like earth, wind and fire, right. like Aerosmith doing Beatles covers. So there were parts of this movie that like did well, despite everything else that was wrong with it.
0: Yeah. I guess I can kind of see the soundtrack working too. Cause I mean, they're good musicians they are good singers. Uh, but yeah, oh. it's, it's rough. It's rough. It's uh, so rough.
1: Yeah. So uh, what, what hit me with a, uh, hit me with a low light. Let's we'll start on low that lights.
0: Now. Starting on low lights. Why okay, not? Uh, man, there, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, mean Mr. Mustard in general Ugh. is a low light. Uh, a, so he's described as uh, the villain, a demented ex real estate agent, uh, <laughs> and. The I think the the lowest part of the low light is the you describe them as robots, uh, that he surrounds himself with. I would they are they do appear to be supposed to be robots, but they they have like the distinct quality of a leather gimp suit designed to look like Lucille Ball. And <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, and they they talk in these like they talk and sometimes <laughs> sing in these uh Oh, what are the fucking Doctor Who creatures that look like fire hydrants? Um,
1: oh, I don't remember what that's called, but oh, they like look a, like those. And they kind of talk oh, in like an like auto-tuned those. robot voice, and yeah, yeah, uh, they look like little dominatrix robots. They're like leathery and definitely female, and still have kind of like a semblance of hair, and maybe the hair is also like cords that are powering them. It's right. Hard to tell.
0: They massage him. Uh, They're in a so, way bad, that at find, like sorry, so that. bad at walking
1: like robots. I'm sorry. So
0: bad at walking like robots. They also they give them a song. She like they have part yeah. of she's leaving home, and it's <laughs> deeply and that weird auto tune robot voice, and it's deeply unsettling. Uh, the I mean, there's okay. Uh, the way that the, the Peter Frampton the Bee Gees, I'm not going to call them Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band because they're Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. Yeah. The way that they, like, that they travel is by hot air balloon, but there's a moment where the hot air balloon is rammed by a Learjet and then suddenly they're inside the Learjet on the way to Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, I I don't I don't love that. Uh,
1: I, uh, so. Yeah. I liked they that big, they used a hot air balloon. I thought that was whimsical.
0: Mm-hmm yeah that added to some
1: whimsy it was whimsical
0: uh (laughs) the so they make a big deal out of the music producer like only wanting to make money right yeah um and I I can't tell if it's a highlight or low light the like his space uh but we should talk about it like his record studio oh yeah uh Is in a sky, a a two skyscrapers that are topped by two giant vinyl albums, Mm -hmm. and he has a couch that's built around a rotating coffee table built to look like a giant turntable. Which maybe he also has sex on. It seems like, and he he has a file drawer where he keeps pictures of his bands, Uh, and they're filed under filed under superstar. But there's also the files dumber dumbest. Too laid back and drunk sissies. Like there's
1: (laughs) drunk sissies. I didn't catch that one.
0: (laughs) The Easter eggs in this one are. I mean, they're not fun to find, but they are there in a very serious way. Uh, What about? I mean, I I could keep going, but I can pass it back to you for for some if you want.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um. I'm gonna. So this is a good part to mention a few of my highlights. Uh, Okay. I will. Okay. First of all, I liked some of the prop work in this movie. This whole Mm. movie is like, um, it's like a weird like dream because nothing, I think they're kind of trying to create that whimsical, you might be on an acid trip kind of feeling a lot of the time. It doesn't come off that way. It comes off as like a really bad music video, but there are parts of it that I was like, yeah, you know, I'm having fun. Um, They've got the the big record spinny coffee table that you talked about. Like that is a fun feature. Like whoever got to do some of the set design, like I bet they Mm -hmm. were enjoying their job. Like that kind of stuff is cool. There's a scene when they first get signed on the record label and they're being showered in opulence. Like, they're at this, like, record producer's mansion and, like, there's, like, sexy ladies everywhere and they're having a feast. There are some definite lowlights during that feast, um, including but not limited to one of the band members uh, and a sexy lady are doing, like, our lady in the tramping, but instead of a spaghetti noodle, it is a crab claw. That, he is, I miss that she is oh, no. ferociously filleting. And I watched it like three times, and it made me mad all three times, but I did watch it three times. Go uh, back. Go back and find it. It's Crab claw,
0: I think. Oh, no. I did like the giant sniffers of brandy in that yes, scene. That, was that was is a highlight other, for me. Those highlight. are great. They're
1: like comically large. They're like bigger than people's heads, and they're drinking booze out of them. Like, that is fun. Like, someone got to have fun with their job at... Someone got to have fun at work, and I was enjoying some of that stuff, because those things didn't really affect the movie.
0: <laughs> Did you notice in that... So, in that scene, uh, the music producer is taking this giant contract around to each each member, each BG, basically, yeah, and having like them sign scroll. it. And tricking them into signing it one way or the other. Uh, and by the time it gets around to Peter Framp, You watch them all sign it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in this, like, thick black pen. Uh, like, fountain pen. Uh, and by the time it gets to Peter Frampton like in a later scene, all of the signatures are completely different. Like they're they're not they're not in the same pen. I don't think they're even in the same color. And they definitely don't. It's like they lost the first draft of the contract. Oh, and just funny. like, all right, just write some names. Um, it's <laughs> like, I'm not sure they're even in cursive the second time around. It's like in crayon. It makes no sense.
1: How long, how many times do they have to reshoot that scene? Or what on I, earth could have happened to that scroll? Were they just, do you think the crab claw lady devoured it with her crab claw <laughs> eating mouth? And they were like, stop destroying the props. <laughs>
0: must feed must uh, ingest yeah oh Christ uh, I did really like th- you mentioned the, the open air stretch limousine yes. I really, really like that. Uh, nothing that nothing that happens in it is the least bit tolerable no. but the, the car itself is very cool
1: uh, yeah it's oh, like a glittery yeah. silver like Barbie car but it's like a, a convertible stretch Cadillac yeah, it's cool. Like yeah. someone made that for this movie.
0: Right. Yeah. A lot of the like, a lot of the art direction is not terrible. No, it's not it's fun. good.
1: If you're watching a short music video, it can be fun. Yes.
0: Because yes. This it is, is two hours long. Has, for two hours, it's not viable. Uh, there are times where it feels like they are just making music video. Like there's whole scenes that are just a band playing to like an either an audience or an empty audience. Yeah. Right. Like they're there's no action happening it's not advancing the plot they're just like we needed yeah. to we needed this movie to be longer so we're just going to put the band playing a song in front of the audience for three to three and a half minutes yeah uh it's not visually interesting there there is a thing that happened uh again in that opening scene i don't know if there's a highlight or a low light but it's a question i have uh <laughs> so they drive by an adult movie theater um uh, with a big sign that says adult movies on it, uh, with like two legs around it. So like the adult movies takes the place of a vagina. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you see what movie they're playing? No. The movie is Queen Kong. And my question is, (laughs) what is that movie about?
1: (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Does she climb the empire state building and have sex with it?
0: Right. Like, is it a, (laughs) is, is it a monkey lady? Uh, is it, a is it a is it a giant just a giant woman that takes? But is then it, there's is gonna like, be
1: a little guy.
0: It'd be a little guy, like a right? little, it, like
1: a little human guy that go maybe maybe goes inside there.
0: Right up in there. Oh god! Yeah, I think that. It's, oh
1: wow! Yeah, the Easter eggs are really where you want to focus your attention because it draws you out of the movie, and that is something you need to do at all costs.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, Ooh. Yeah.
1: Low light. Um, when they're going, when they're driving around Hollywood and they're looking out at like all the sites, like there's, you know, the exotic, there's like a lot of, um, there's like the sex workers hanging outside the exotic movie theater and like the erotic movie theater. And then they drive by this place where a bunch of women are like living mannequins dressed like Egyptians Mm -hmm. that like look over and smile at them. 90% sure one of those women is in blackface. (gasps) like really yeah like i went back and paused it and i was like i can't totally tell because her whole body is painted but it really looks like a person in blackface so there's that 70s good job 70s uh
0: hold on can we pause my dog is barking uh (laughs) holla stop it be right back go upstairs We're back sorry just figured better to oh yeah
1: for sure
0: Yep. all right pumped up yeah uh blackface yikes okay so where do we want to uh
1: oh you know you know what was another another highlight for me i have to say was there's just a section of this movie where it's like a step-by-step process of how a record label is printed and made into a sleeve in a factory and i thought it was really cool
0: yeah, no, I like any uh, any production montage. Like, that That worked for me. Yeah. It's not a movie, right? No. Like, it's not a thing you put in a movie, but it was nice.
1: It was just sort of like, it's like when you watch one of those movies about um, about how things are made as a little kid, and they show you every single step of the process, and it is mm-hmm. fascinating, and also really satisfying watching, like, a giant cutter, like, cut through, like, thousands of sheets of paper and then print things and make it into a label. So that was the highlight mm-hmm. of the movie that we watched that was definitely definitely a movie
0: what what were your feelings on the character of strawberry fields
1: i thought that they picked an interesting person to play her because <laughs> mm-hmm. if you're going to make the person playing the lead in a movie she's should be maybe perhaps be either a famous singer judging by the rest of this cast with a really incredible voice or just be may, i guess maybe pure 70s eye candy or maybe just have some like really great on-screen charisma this she's kind of just like a mannequin that they move from scene to scene she mm-hmm. does do some acting but she also does some really bad singing in my opinion mm-hmm. and and she's given a lot of screen time
0: Yeah, it's it's very weird throaty singing. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like there are many signals that she is stalking Peter Frampton for much of this movie. That scene at the
1: beginning where she's got the room.
0: Yeah, right, where she has a life-size cutout of Peter Frampton on her wall, and the rest of her wall, of her room, is just covered in pictures of him.
1: Oh, my God, Uh, so much memorabilia about him, about the band. I guess it, they have a long, rich, romantic history that we don't get to see on screen, but it's...
0: Until the very end where it's like they maybe have a dog together. Somebody has a dog that accompanies them in places, but only in flashback right before Peter Frampton tries to kill himself after she's died, but yeah. not really. Yeah, uh, The, there's, <laughs> I don't like her. No, uh, no, no. And uh, I, uh, I wish they didn't. Uh, the, the reanimated suddenly black sergeant pepper didn't uh, bring her back from the dead but uh there's a, a true low light is so peter frampton uh over the while he's trying to get an instrument back from alice cooper mm-hmm. uh, who plays i don't even remember the name but very weird
1: yeah oh I, I
0: even wrote down the exact description forget
1: his name but he was an old Oh, you wrote it down.
0: Oh, I wrote it down. Uh, Alice Cooper plays a character, and we'll just read exactly the the things that narrator George Burns says. (laughs) Marvin Sunk, now known as Father Son, was an unemployed school crossing guard at the bottom of his life when he suddenly got the idea to drop the K from his last name. Well, that move lit up his life, and he's been uphill ever since. He decided to go into the media business and destroy the minds of those young people who teased him on the way to school. Now he's busy brainwashing them for FVB to build an army to take over the world. Uh,
1: Jesus Christ.
0: The sequence around him is mind-melting. Like, there's there's moments, there's, like, a a moment where it seems like it's gonna be visually interesting when, like, all of the teenagers are there and they, like, they put on the headphones at the same time to be brainwashed. And, like, that was kind of cool-looking. But then it transfers to Alice Cooper... uh, in these, like, kind of looking like Frank Zappa or Rasputin, like very greasy, very weird, uh, uh, projected onto screens in these distorted images where he talks, sings, because the world is round, it turns me on. And yeah. the image is cast in like green light with his like long, greasy black hair flipping in the wind. And then he's like, he's in got a like red... a great
1: and powerful Oz angle with his face kind of lording over everyone. And it seems like maybe they're having like a mind control, like hypnotic psychedelic moment.
0: Yeah, and then there's a whole other thing where, like, he's he, you see his full body on a red screen, uh, and he's like crouching like he's trying to poop outside. Uh, but they're making these come hither hands, uh, to it's very weird. So, Peter Frampton is, is electrocuted yes. uh, in this scene, yeah. And, and the thing, the only thing that can restore him is the power of love, tells us narrator George Burns. Mm-hmm. And then Strawberry Fields starts singing to him. And the song that she sings is Strawberry Fields. So she just sings her name to him uh, over and over again. And at some point he wakes up (laughs) and he regains conscious. She hugs him and sings, Nothing is real, Strawberry Fields forever.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. The, The actual plot of this movie is that they got stalked, that Billy Shears got stalked by this girl that he knew tangentially in his hometown in the Midwest and that becomes the rest of his life.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God. Uh it's it's there's so much there's so much uh oh. So go? yeah, please.
1: Mean Mr. Mustard's tongue. I have to say it. He puts Ugh. it out on display early Ugh. and often and it makes me very mad. It he'll he'll just make eye contact with the camera and then maintain eye contact with the camera for like 10 seconds, and his tongue, they're just like going in and out, and he's winking, and he's looking away, and he's looking back, and it's like, nope, fucking call cut. Call cut. <laughs> <laughs> Who's making this movie? He is not the presence that we want lingering on screen or on set. Let's get him out of here.
0: Mm-hmm. Upsetting. Uh, the, a thing I don't like about this movie <laughs> is that it. It makes no effort to assign songs to any situation that would make any narrative sense at all. No. Like, uh, Robin Gibb sings Oh Darlin in the studio, mm-hmm. uh, unrelated to the narrative. And Oh Darlin is like one of the only songs that you could cleanly fit into just about any narrative. Yeah. Like, it is. It is a person singing to a loved one about things that happen in their lives. You yeah. could actually put that into the movie and have it advance the plot. but instead, one of the few one of the few Beatles songs that does that like they'll sing fucking Maxwell's Silver Hammer and try to make it work. sometimes they'll sing it like they'll fucking yeah. sing fix in a hole. And it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. but you have ODlet sung in the studio in a black room. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that was when I turned to angry at the movie. Yeah. Like, they're not even, they're trying so hard, but they're not even making an effort.
1: No work was done there.
0: No work was done. No. <laughs>
1: uh, and, and everything's so long. Like, the she's so heavy scene is ten minutes long. And it's <laughs> abusive. Like, I get that the song is quite long, and the end part especially goes on and on, but like... I mean, give the audience a break. Like, just, just cut it off. Like, we don't need a 10-minute long music video. Maybe let's just, like, if you're going to do multiple albums in their entirety, let's keep it at a clip. Let's just try to do, like, three right. or four-minute songs.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, Steve Martin is in this movie.
1: He is. Bless his little And,
0: heart. yeah. I, what, are, what are your feelings <laughs> on the Steve Martin segment?
1: So my feelings are that if they didn't have to stay true to the actual lyrics of Maxwell's Silver Hammer, what he's performing is a fun little like SNL sketch where he's a kooky plastic surgeon who's really money hungry and he's doing yeah. weird shit and he's lost his mind. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit similar to that like the crazy dentist that he plays in Little Shop of Horrors, like and he's totally. and he's like wild and crazy guy in with the with the hips and the shoulders right. and. You know. Moving his
0: arms in weird, yeah. bungee ways. He's doing yeah. all
1: the fun stage stuff that Steve Martin does. And he's always charming because he's Steve Martin. Um,
0: he can get away with some real stuff on screen that he shouldn't be able to. Yeah, like like,
1: like whatever he, they gave him to work with there, he still made it, I would say, pretty watchable because it's just fun to see him pop up. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, but yes, that song please. was horrible.
0: The song is... Vile. The whole segment is hateful. Um
1: and also and... what a missed opportunity. He plays an instrument very well, by the way. Right! He plays the banjo. <laughs> he's like a banjo virtuoso. They could have had him playing the instrument that he's incredibly gifted at and like make the song different or or give him a different song. Anything. Yeah. Anything you to use Steve to. Martin yep. in a cool way, but they gave him this like spoken word, like Maxwell's silver hammer came down upon... It's like a little bit Shatner and a little bit Christopher Walken, and it's like, Mm -hmm. goes on forever, too.
0: Right. Throughout his undulating, which I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And then it turns... So I I was even... I was sort of on board for this. Like, it's not a... It's a bad segment, but it's a watchable segment. Until... The Bee Gees and Peter Frampton invade his studio or his office, and then they... he. The Bee Gees fight nurses, and with Peter karate. Frampton and Steve Martin. Yes, with karate. And Peter Frampton and Steve Martin have like a bizarre lightsaber fight, and it yeah. is unacceptable. <laughs> the, the fight, like maybe in all of this absolute foaming garbage pile of a movie, the fight choreography is the worst part of it. There are multiple fights that look like they were choreographed by a rushed community theater volunteer. Like, the the lightsaber fight is. I, it, it makes the lightsaber fight between Alec Guinness and Darth, between you know like uh, fucking Obi Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader the really slow one in original Star Wars mm-hmm. it makes that look fucking polished and great yeah. like it is so but both slow and fast and disjointed and the, the, like animating over the like the swords and suddenly Peter Frampton has swords like it's it's all so weird.
1: It is weird. It was not a good move to try to integrate, like, fight choreography into this movie. And, like, I actually kind of enjoyed the cheesy special effects, like the lasers and the 70s. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because it's of its time, and it's kind of fits the tone of this movie. But, yeah, the the slow motion, like, karate kicking could do without, for sure.
0: And the fight between Aerosmith and Peter Frampton, the Bee Gees, between future villain band, yeah. uh, is unwatchable yeah like it it looks like they gave them no direction they're just like you guys need to pretend to struggle for a good minute and a half and then uh, Stephen Tyler has to fall off the stage Uh, yeah
1: and it's one of the pivotal you, moments in the movie. It's not a It side is technically fight. the climax. It's like the climax of the movie, and they're like, Oh fuck, yeah, we gotta wrap this thing up and we have like six more songs to fix fit in there, and we don't have time to do anything else. We gotta just, just, just wave your arms around. Okay, you're done.
0: It it might be the most awkward thing I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's pretty bad. It's
0: like I was in middle school plays with better fight choreography. Like it's <laughs> it is really, really weird. Uh,
1: <laughs> oh man. Oh, how'd you feel about Lucy and her diamonds, singing Lucy in the Sky with diamonds?
0: What a fucking useless character. What a useless... Like, there's it nothing... Goes nowhere. P- you don't need it. No. They're, they don't advance the plot at all. The the scene where, yeah, where th- they're singing their name mm-hmm. over and over again.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that, right?
0: nonsense <laughs> lyrics to Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees, who are on a different stage... And maybe it's taking place in Strawberry Fields' imagination, and maybe it's not. I, my initial thing is, like, there's a lot of scenes in this movie where full bands are performing to nobody. Uh, for a music producer who the movie is very insistent, only wants to make money. But he's doing these large productions to open streets, like, yeah. <laughs> on the roof of a street in downtown L.A. He's with his two big bands with large neon signs behind them yeah to to nobody why who's this for
1: all publicity is good publicity even if one person wanders by that's all you need you just get one i have no idea um yeah you know oh hey here's something did you ever watch twin peaks yeah the giant from twin peaks is in this movie
0: yeah, yeah. I was wondering why In I like all before. those
1: weird, like dream sequency like alternate reality scenes, is in this movie as Mr. Mustard's henchman. That was a fun little uh, mm-hmm. Easter egg, I guess you mm-hmm. could call it. He doesn't talk; he's just miming, following. Nobody talks. Mr. Yeah, nobody talks. That's Only funny.
0: George Burns talks.
1: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and once in a blue moon, George Burns will be still saying, like he'll be narrating, and then it will cut to the scene, and a couple characters in the scene will kind of lip sync what he's saying. That happens mm-hmm. once or twice. Not mm-hmm. enough. That would actually be better. If you could just put be words in people's mouths, then even though they're not speaking them, there still technically are words happening in the scene. But that very rarely is the case. Uh, it's a hard musical, kinda, in that sense. Yeah. It is a silent it's, movie, though. <laughs> it's, really
0: funny. It's, it's a silent movie. <laughs> uh, th- so there are a couple things in this movie that I liked. Mm-hmm. I like the Western Union telegram deliverer he's the like old prospector looking man who like gops his, opens and closes his mouth like a baby bird.
1: When is he, in uh, the, where is he?
0: So he delivers their like notice, their the notice to Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees that they've been signed. Oh, at the by very beginning. The very beginning. Right. And okay, he also yeah. like rows a boat up to them when they're playing in front of a bunch of farm animals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I love that actor only plays that character and he plays it in a lot of stuff. Uh,
1: he does. And I, yeah. I
0: love him. I love him. Uh, so I like that. Yeah. Uh, also, there's not a lot of times where the, like, they try to make the goofy lyrics fit into the narrative somehow. Mm-hmm. But there's one time that really worked for me, which was, and of course, Henry the Horse is dancing the waltz. And then they brought out yeah. a people <laughs> yeah, in a horse good. costume on, uh, on roller on skates roller and skates. they dance a waltz. And it really fit and worked for me. And they there's were really There's not much good. of it. They're really good.
1: It's like a circusy vibe because they've got this parade going through town. Part of the end of the plot is that they, um, Mr. Mustard, who's the evil real estate agent, has like bought up the whole town and turned it into a slum. And so they decide to go back to Heartland and throw a parade to raise money or whatever and clean up the streets. And they've got this like big kind of Fellini scene going on. And then, um, and there's like mimes and clowns and people on roller skates. And yeah, two people in a horse costume doing like some pretty impressive tricks on roller skates. I was yeah. I was down for that. I wrote that. as a highlight as well.
0: Uh, I also liked so. Strawberry Fields is killed in the same in the in the climactic fight scene. Fight scene uh, between uh, Steven Tyler and Peter Frampton. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the funeral, there are some problems with the funeral. For instance, they allow uh, Mister Mustard and Brute to attend the funeral as mourners. They did forcibly kidnap her, yep. uh, and. And but uh, there was a thing I really liked, which was that Maurice Gibbs uh, has, in his funereal outfit, he has a, a formal funeral neckerchief uh-huh. uh, that he has tied in a little bow with his little like little silk neckerchief, and frankly, I like that.
1: Uh, I liked that they had her in a clear casket, like a clear um, casket, like Snow she White. She to her death. Like Snow White or linen. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> That was a bold choice. They parade her through town, and everyone gazes upon her dead body.
0: There, there are a couple of laugh out loud moments in this movie for me, and they were almost all moments where Barry Gibbs went "ah." Yeah, it happens <laughs> he, like he finally does four it. or five times. <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting for it, and it's so satisfying. You know, uh, I
1: expected a lot more falsetto in this movie, and. I will give I will give the Bee Gees some credit. They tried really hard, and they didn't honestly do the worst covers of Beatles songs. They weren't horrible to listen to. It was just a bad movie. Like, mm-hmm. if I just heard that recorded out of context, I wouldn't be, like, wanting to pull my ears off. It was just mm-hmm. definitely not a good way to use that. And also, like... They didn't really switch it up, though. Like, they didn't do anything different. They just tried to record the track exactly as it was recorded, but with their BG voices trying to mimic a Beatles voice. And I got to say, I wanted more falsetto. I wanted more like...
0: Hey, hey, hey. There was a little bit of that in the end, when yeah. they have like, the band is back together, and there's, I forget what song it is, but there's a lot of, the lyric is just, ah, and it was a lot of, ah, over and over again. <laughs> Finally. And I d- yeah, it's, you're really building up for it. Uh, the whole end segment is so weird and unsettling. I mean, obviously this whole movie makes no sense, right? And we no. can just get that out of the way. Uh, but so Strawberry Fields has died. Uh, uh-huh. the, there's a newspaper headline that says Strawberry Fields sacrifices life for Heartland. And then underneath it, it says, Mr. Jones uh, takes his own life behind Wheel. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Barry Gibbs sings a whole song about it uh, because there's a Beatles song about that. Uh, they never introduce a Mr. Jones in the movie. There's, there's not a Mr. Jones no. in, the, in the movie. No. Uh, but he gets a whole song at the conclusion of the movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> all you had to do. Was name one of the characters, Mr. Character. Jones,
1: Anyone. a throwaway character?
0: character. Introduce him.
1: No, no, no. We're you've been here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you've you've named you created Dougie Shears because you needed a brother for Billy Shears for some reason, but you couldn't we name have, somebody, Mr. Jones. We have Mr. Strawberry
1: Jones. Fields, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, and Maxwell Silverhammer all singing the song about themselves.
0: And mean Mr. Mustard.
1: Oh, and me, Mister Mustard. Like no one's singing about them. They all sing their own little song. Would it have been so hard to just throw it a Mister Jones? Apparently be, so. Apparently so. so. Apparently
0: so. You <laughs> could have, you could have Strawberry Fields' like full name be Strawberry Fields Jones, and that's sure. all you need, yeah. right? That's uh, all you need. So one of the big mysteries throughout the the thing is, like, uh, Mr. Mustard is being backed by FVB. And it's like, FVB is the, like, creepy computer voice. And then, like you said, at the end, FVB turns out to stand for Future Villain Band. Yeah. And rather than one individual, these, like, five hair metal band members have been uh, putting this character actor to do these things. Yeah. My my question is, why? Why did why did you need that? And, and if so, why would you have it be future villain band what like F f e b doesn't mean anything in general so you don't need to backronym it uh future villain band is like a of bad mad libs arrangement of words it was a like, placeholder
1: that they forgot to auto replace when they wrote the script they were like yeah, just call it i mean it's like a future villain band we'll come up with it later just just <laughs> moving on we got to keep the momentum going in the writer's room <laughs> And then, guess uh, what? They lost steam.
0: Oh, God. It started with very little steam. So, Strawberry Fields has died, and Peter Frampton, covered in olive oil on his face, is about to <laughs> commit suicide. Yeah. And as about, by jumping off a two-story roof, uh, <laughs> not, not a great way to do it, but that's what he's going to try to do. And he jumps off, and then the weather vane that was erected in honor of Sergeant Pepper spins and spins and spins and, spins and turns into Billy Preston, the black beetle. Um, and, and he zaps Peter Frampton back onto the roof and then zaps Heartland to change uh, and he zaps to turn everybody's clothes into clergy vestments, including yeah. turning Mus- Mr. Mustard into the Pope. Uh, yeah, it does. And then, and then he zaps Strawberry Fields back to life and looks at her and says very clearly to her, get back Loretta, because he's singing, get back. Uh, but very clearly he's he's calling her Loretta. Like, that's that's not a... <laughs>
1: God, I don't know how I didn't notice that. I got really happy at the end of this movie because I, for the record, loved that scene. The movie was losing its <laughs> mind. A weather vane turns into an exit man that isn't the man from the beginning of the movie, and that's fine. And I'm over it. I don't care. But his cover of Get Back was very good, in my opinion. As far as he's also in this on, movie. He,
0: he made Get Back. He was one of the the actual like the musicians on Get Back. Like oh. it's it's nice
1: oh I didn't know that yeah so yeah his and his cover is I think it's a great cover he's got charisma he's randomly turning townspeople into popes and priests and nuns and I'm here for it I don't know what the fuck is happening anymore but like I didn't even notice that he blatantly calls one of the only characters that has a very important role and name that is repeated ad nauseum throughout the movie and he just looks her in the eye and calls her Loretta (laughs)
0: I love it. it no work been, was done. It
1: could have been anyone else. They could have right, thrown a random extra again. into the movie and just like, hey, <laughs> hey, craft services, you're not doing anything right now. Just stand here in the middle of the gazebo, let Billy Preston yell something at you. And then you're done working for the day. But no. <laughs> oh, I yeah. love it. That scene was awesome though.
0: It's. Cause who yeah, knows I can, why it was I can happening, see why you like what it. was
1: happening. I have no idea. It's like,
0: it's like, I mean, they ran out of songs. They're like, all right, we have to end the movie now. Uh, This is how. And oh,
1: but it's not how, because the way they actually end the movie. Oh,
0: right. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah, we should talk about that. That's how they resolve the plot, right? But no, the end of the movie is its own thing.
1: It's uh. honestly amazing. They have comprised, like, a who's who of every, like, almost every important artist from the late, from, like, the entire decade of the 70s. Gotten them all in a set together and recreated the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the album cover. I mean, it's like 50 people that they, like real people, that they wrangled into standing there and singing together, including but not limited to Tina Turner, Wilson Pickett, Curtis Mayfield, Etta James, Hart, Olive Hart, Elvin Bishop, Bonnie Raitt, Grover Washington Jr., Hank Williams Jr., Bobby Womack, Frankie Valli, Maya Rudolph's mom, Mippy (laughs) Ripperton. Oh. Many, many, it's just so many people it's like a it's overwhelming how did they con that many people into being in this
0: movie by telling him paul mccartney was going to be there probably <laughs> the it also has distinct i'd like to buy the world of coke vibes Oh like, yeah yeah it's also they took i didn't realize th- those that everybody in there was famous uh yes because they're very awkward on screen like they're moving awkwardly. It's I think it's maybe the largest aggregation of people dancing poorly and unpleasant and like awkwardly I've maybe ever seen. Tina Turner's like, doing her little moving. snaps
1: with the little elbow out. She's doing her like iconic Tina thing. She's got really But she doesn't have room to then. move,
0: so it's just like
1: No, everyone's it's, like it's, packed it's onto this like into a onto a set of outside like high school bleachers so that they can all squeeze into frame. Yeah, but it was honestly impressive—not on like a cinematic, not in a cinematic sense, but impressive on a production level that someone had all the strings that they could pull, and maybe deep like favors that they were owed that they managed to get that much star power in one room for that scene. This movie was not a movie.
0: Uh, do we want plot keywords?
1: Hit me with all of the plot keywords, please.
0: Uh, all right. We've got the Beatles song. Uh, <laughs> Scanimate. Don't know what that means. Uh, t- we have tuba, saxophone, uh-huh. uh, plastic surgeon, record producer, multiple cameos, loss of girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. Brother-brother relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Drugged drink. Oh. Battle of the Bands. Which does not occur in this movie. Drug drink uh, does
1: occur in this movie.
0: Drug drink, yeah, they do roofie Peter Peterfly. Oh, Battle of
1: the Bands doesn't appear in this movie. No, it totally no, doesn't. It
0: doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, based on song, based on album, mm-hmm. Hot Air Balloon. Yes. Independent film? Uh uh-uh. uh. I don't think that's accurate. Uh-uh. Uh uh. Unless the there's a wall. film
1: about this film that I would I, watch.
0: I would watch that in an instant. Yep. uh resurrection i guess yeah there is a resurrection
1: there uh, is a they death. resurrect strawberry
0: fields and then call her loretta um
1: there's arguably multiple resurrections because whatever the fuck happens with sergeant pepper turning into a different man at the end is perhaps a resurrection
0: that's true that's true that's that's not wrong uh this this was the worst movie i've ever seen i this
1: was truly terrible i didn't and expect it i gotta ask you you had to be a character.
0: Hmm. Who, who'd you pick? I mean, it's hard not to choose Billy Preston, Sergeant Pepper, because he's on screen for so little time. He he fixes much of what's wrong with the movie yes. and then goes back to being a weather vane. And he gets and, to do the most seems... fun
1: thing ever, which is just magic people into being clergymen and then disappear.
0: <laughs> 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 yep. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What about you?
1: It's going to bum you out, but I'm going to pick me, Mr. Mustard, based Hmm. on my extreme (laughs) affinity for being the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I like, uh, I like, I would love to leer at the camera. I would love to drive around in a dirty old van with some robots. I I just, I want to be the worst. I want to be the worst part of this movie. I want to just be the worst. I feel it's, like this movie has broken me.
0: <laughs> it's skis. Yeah. Uh,
1: it would be really fun, and no one else would enjoy it. Which is, I'm sure, what that actor thought.
0: Okay, so I uh, they've got some more trivia. Why it's a silent film. The Bee Gees and Peter Frampton used to have dialogue. No. But they couldn't speak without British accents. And because it's set in America, for no reason. Uh, <gasps> what? Why? They, they did away with the dialogue. Oh my uh, God. It and they.
1: So yeah. unnecessary. So Just unnecessary. set it in like, set it in Liverpool, you idiot. <laughs> like, make it like a, why not? Why not do yeah.
0: that? Yeah. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> right. Set it where the Beatles are from. Why there's not? nothing in the dialogue to, there's nothing in the songs that requires them to be in the United States, obviously, because all of the people that made the music are British. Uh, so
1: weird i so never it's such lived a in the weird, US. like maybe pandering grab to like just get americans to love this movie i don't understand um
0: uh yeah i yeah. apparently they let alice cooper out of rehab to do this movie huh he was checked into rehab okay uh and uh, and he was granted a temporary leave for three days to record his vocals and shoot his scenes for this film. Which also, you know, in this movie, he looks like he just got out of rehab. I, I don't mean, know if that's yeah, how he always he looks. Does.
1: Yeah, he does. That makes the most sense in the world. Ugh. That's a crazy... Well, he had a harrowing 72 hours.
0: The Bee Gees tried to get dropped from this film two weeks into production.
1: No. Are you kidding yes. me? <laughs>
0: that's Are what it says. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh my god, they
1: already knew, that's so sad
0: <laughs> They already knew, they were also apparently given one trailer when the movie started uh, To share these three men, these three adult <laughs> men were given a single trailer And then Saturday Night Fever came out uh, And it the soundtrack became a success And the Gibb brothers were then given uh, each their own trailer
1: Oh, they were just three brother- brothers bunking <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a trailer together just like old times Oh That is so sad, though. Two weeks in.
0: The Bee Gees cited their involvement with this film for their declining popularity.
1: (laughs) Yeah, big time, yeah. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I
1: mean, the thing is, if you make a Beatles movie, it's just, you have so far to fall and so far to fail. Like, Across the Universe miraculously, like, pulled it off, to my knowledge. It was pretty, it was a critical success and it got some noms and it was also beautiful. Like, To look at it, it did a thing where it created a film that also like aesthetically supported being a trippy sweeping Beatles movie. This I don't know what the end goal was, I think it was achieved. I think this is exactly what they wanted to make.
0: I mean, it feels like it was mostly a cautionary tale to allow across the universe to happen. Of like, well, if you're gonna do this, you need to go very abstract. Yeah. Because it won't work trying to make any of these lyrics make sense because they don't make sense in the in real in the real world. They don't make sense in real life. No. Uh, it's...
1: <laughs> oh man, just the fact that they all had speaking roles and they couldn't figure out a way in their minds. People who have worked in Hollywood for decades could not figure out a way to get these four men a way to speak on screen that made any sense because they're married to the idea that everyone exists in Nebraska.
0: Had to take place in Heartland America. (laughs) Just why? Why Uh, why do you need to do that? Do
1: you think it was because they had already created the sets? (laughs) Because they made, I looked it up, they made a very expensive movie set. Like that whole Heartland is like a million dollar, um, Town that they created out of nothing. And so it is totally huh. possible that they thought that these men were going to be able to pull off talking like Americans and realize way too late into production that that wasn't a possibility. I have no idea. Uh, oh, this is, what a ride.
0: Yeah, what I, a ride. I, I guess I'm glad to know that this exists.
1: I mean, yeah, I didn't know it existed. I don't, I would never advise anyone to watch this. Um, but knowing about it and knowing about how badly it affected the careers of, like, four people doing quite well in 1978 is just...
0: Right, it seems, it's like... It
1: seems significant.
0: Saturday Night Fever comes out. They're at the top of their career. They do this movie that they signed on before Saturday Night Fever and it immediately tanks their career. Like, this, <laughs> this movie sad. ruined the beach. so sad. Uh, Well... I this is the like so I think this is the worst movie that we've watched for this. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. It's also unlike any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, that's it's, the
1: thing. It's like hard for me to categorize because it isn't quite a movie. I mean it's really not a movie. It's hard to watch, but I will say less ooh less unpleasant to watch in some ways than like the yucky gritty movies that we've seen. Like watching uh,
0: It is less objectionable than Highway.
1: Yeah, highway. Highway's
0: disgusting.
1: There were no. There was no whimsy. There was no, no weather. There was no hot air balloon.
0: No. Yeah. Uh, no. It, it. There was like, no
1: woman deep throating a crab claw in highway, <laughs> although there very well could have been.
0: <laughs> there could have been. It would fit into <laughs> highway better.
1: Accidentally, they forgot to put that in.
0: I. I. You can't even tell somebody to watch a trailer for this movie because the trailer for the movie almost makes it seem like an acceptable venture.
1: Oh, yeah, I watched d- the trailer, and I had no sense of what I was in for.
0: You kind of have to watch it to understand it. Yeah. And, and I feel bad telling people to do it, but I also want other people to have this experience because it's not on, like, any of the lists of worst movies ever made, but it might yeah. be. The, like, this, The Room is a better movie than this.
1: It is more of a movie than this.
0: It is much more <laughs> of a movie. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, like actions no have some consequences. No
1: one's saying that Tommy Wiseau didn't try his ass off at making a movie. So he's got one up on fucking whoever, I don't remember the director. All I got is Robert Stigwood. I forget the director's name. Everyone is,
0: uh, everyone's culpable. Nobody, nobody's hands are clean.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, watch it. I would definitely advise like watch it with someone else. Watch it with a couple drinks. Watch it like not paying attention to the entirety of the movie or just hit pause randomly and like take a looky woo at what's happening around you. Because, yep. but like, you know, yep. focusing on this thing too much is going to bring you down because it is long. It's two hours, but it is also five hours and it is also an eternity.
0: It is. It e- is e- very long. E- so
1: distractions.
0: The, the director of this movie appears to have like, it kind of looks like did a bunch of exploitation movies and this, mm-hmm. and then.
1: Tons Exclusively
0: T V. There's T V for the rest of his career.
1: Tons and current uh, TV too. Like I was looking on yeah. there and it was like Crazy ex- His girlfriend and like think like yeah. New Girl and like uh, some like the practice and like Ally McBeal back in the day and like he's right. just all over the map, but he's he's worked a lot. He's done a lot of T V work.
0: Yeah. Huh. I mean
1: So it didn't certainly didn't bring him down. Sorry, Gib Brothers.
0: Yeah, uh well, I mean you should have known. I mean, you should have known.
1: They did. They kind of. They did, but, but two weeks too late. <laughs> two weeks too late. <laughs> so sad. Uh, well.
0: All right. Well. Any any, is any,
1: a, any thoughts left on this bad boy? I feel no. Like this is all I got in me.
0: I'm glad we. I'm glad we got to talk it out. <laughs> it's, oh
1: yeah, there is. There's a lot is, to unpack here.
0: This miserable. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks, George Burns, for. Everything you brought us, except for this movie, yeah. which is terrible, quite,
1: quite bad, quite eventful. Okay,
0: bad. yeah. Well,
1: uh, well, we'll see uh, you, crazy fools, in uh, in two weeks.
0: Yeah, we'll be back with something probably better. Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean,
1: <laughs> inevitably better.
0: Almost, almost certainly. Yeah. Hopefully, a movie. Hopefully, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna try uh, to make it
1: a movie.
0: Yeah. Well, until then, I'll 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 be Henry. And
1: I'll still be Michelle.
0: Experiment and fast forward into the future of acting. Uh. Maxwell Edison, majoring in medicine, calls her on the phone. Can I take you out of the pictures, Joe? Oh ho. Oh, oh. But as she's getting ready to go, a knock comes on the door. Bang, Maxwell's silver hammer came down upon her head. Bang, bang, Maxwell's silver hammer made sure that she was dead.